Hi, I'm Patrick Palm, CEO and founder of Favro, and this is the Learn From Leaders podcast. The background to these interviews is that Favro clients are some of the most innovative and agile businesses out there. And it's used for collaborative planning by marketing teams, by product teams, HR, management teams. And what this means is that we get to know some truly inspiring people. So what we do in this podcast is that I invite them here for conversation about something where they are true leaders. So we can all learn from it. Let's go. And we are live with uh, Brian Graham. You know, how's it going? Going well, thank you. How are you, Patrick? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, uh, I'm not in Vilnius right now. I'm in, um, I'm in uh, Sweden, in Uppsala. Um, and uh, what about you? Over in Texas, not on the set, not on the set of Jimmy Fallon. <laughs> Right, cool. So um, um, I'm looking forward to this conversation. You know, we, um, um, I mean, you you are at, you know in a high pixel today, but you've been doing so many different things over the years. And I think the first time we met, uh, you were at uh, EA Sports in Orlando. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So maybe we can start just a little bit with uh, you know how did you um, how did you get into game development in the first place? You know, what made you stay? Uh, what made you um, you know, so focused on, you know, production management and production leadership. Uh, I think it would be great for anyone who doesn't already know you. Sure. Um, it's interesting. I started off as a programmer for uh, Motorola and telecoms. Um, I'll say previous, several previous lives ago, I won't throw out a number. And um, it, while the job was fine, um, moved into more project management, I felt like a number and I felt like it was just moving tasks around um, for the sake of producing charts. And I was young at the time and didn't really know what I wanted. I just knew I wanted something more. And I did an application on uh, monster.com at the time. There was a, a gaming studio with EA in Orlando uh, that they were sort of a little uh, mysterious. They didn't specifically say it was EA and they didn't say it was gaming. They, they sort of touched around it. I applied thinking because I don't have gaming experience at the time that there's no way that they'll reach out to me. Opportunity knocked and they did had interviews. Two weeks later, I accepted job offer, packed up my stuff, sold my house from Illinois and moved down, down to Florida. And when I remember when I started there, they said, why did you want to move? I said, well, I wanted a challenge. And they said, well, welcome to the games industry. That's all you have is nothing but challenges. I uh, started off as a development manager for the Madden 06 uh, series. And um, over that time, uh, more opportunities presented itself. And that's when Xbox 360 was being developed. And our current size of the team at that point that I was on was 15. And we published, uh, we produced the title for uh, the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and the GameCube, all three with 15 people. As the 360 was being developed, we had a separate team that was uh, working on that for the Xbox 360. That team grew to 220 people. So at that time, EA went from 15, not, not scaling easily or evolving. They went right from 15 to 220 and realized that, hey, the way that you manage teams of 15 people and, and products that have that size staffing doesn't carry over when you have 220 people, multiple floors, multiple locations. 
Um, that development director had left. They asked me to take that over to try and get it shipped. Uh, lived there for eight months, and then I end that we shipped it, and then I took over the Madden franchise from the development perspective from Madden six through Madden nine, and then moved into overseeing the development from uh, for all of EA Sports from like a portfolio management perspective and studio operations of working with first party like Sony and Microsoft. Um, after about ten years at EA had an opportunity to go work with Magic Leap uh, in Florida for Mixed Reality. Uh, amazing concept, and they still have products that's still being released. I was there for a couple of years helping to set up their content creation studios. Um, when there was an opportunity out here in Central Texas for a studio uh, called Playful, which was founded by uh, the creator of Words with Friends. And uh, very family oriented type of studio development types of games. And um, it was an amazing time over three years doing PC online titles, um, looking at switch titles, stuff like that. And most recently uh, was brought in over here at Hypixel Studios, which is where fully remote studio um, and we're developing the game Hytale. Um, and I'm, from the production perspective, looking at things from the more of the operational side of how do we scale up responsibly and how do we get the uh, this large ambitious title uh, done well. Um, I, I think I've always liked the uh, the problem solving from the operational side of hey I know this works well but there's a better way or a more efficient way. And at the end of the day, I've seen several products and I've been in charge of several products where I've made these mistakes where I've done things in a way that um, that felt good on paper or in a schedule, but the end result product wasn't as good as what we wanted. And that's when I moved heavily into more of agile frameworks at that time. And uh, that's sort of been my mainstay to this date. So um, one question I'm, I'm curious about, you know, you know, taking this story is, you know, apart from simply the, uh, the scale of things in terms of number of people, what have you seen over, you know, these years can also, you know, change, you know, when it comes to, um, to, to production management. I mean, you, we talk about the pure scale, which of course affects, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, agile, I think. You know, when we met the first time, this was, um, let's say, more new and, and, you know, today very established. It's more about maybe doing it um, well uh, rather than doing it. Uh, but 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 just it would be interesting just kind of get a couple of your views on, you know, things that have changed. You know, like how was it to be, you know, in production management, you know, 15 years ago versus, you know, seven, five and, and now, you know. Um, it's interesting. There's uh, there's. I'll say a lot of things on the outside that have changed. Um, people are, uh, there's a lot of things that stay consistent. For example, people are still people. Um, uh, every, people still think they're good at estimations and they're not, you know, it's just like, there, there's just universal truths that, that happen. Um, I think the biggest change, at least from the gaming side of production has been the more from an industry side where the expectations of gaming have gone from, we package things on a disc, we put it out, um, we put out some patches and we sort of move on from there working on the next version. They've uh, moved to, you know, to this live service where things are expected to live forever and be produced forever. And that's a very different publishing and production model. Uh, 
mainly because you don't have this finite time that you can plan to. You know, it's something that you're now making trade-offs as, well, we'll get to this one later, as opposed to it's not going to make it in the version at all. Um, internally, though, there, there have been tons of, uh, I'll say, adaptations of Agile, different types of frameworks that have been published. Uh, I think you know, a lot of people are becoming a lot more experienced at understanding what it means. Um, but in general, I think there's still that foundational problem of really understanding why Agile, why certain components in Agile exist, not just what they mean, um, even to this day. Um, it's interesting what you said there with, um, you know, going from, you know, shipping a disk to, to something which is live. Um, uh, one, uh, <clears throat> one, um, one observation uh, that, that, you know, we made, I, I kind of want to bounce it with you, you know, hopefully you don't disagree, <laughs> but what I've seen, um, you know, what, what we've seen and been writing a little bit about is that um, some of the challenges that comes with this um, are becoming more and more understood, um, you know, on, on, a, on a team level. Um, and one of the very new things, and, and I would say actually very recent, uh, is that more, let's say a publishing level, kind of a portfolio level, uh, these things are, are, are just are starting to be more understood and, and, and they're starting to be, okay, well, this, this actually changes also some things on how we do things, you know, on, on that level. I mean, when we, I mean, Favor is not an old company. We started this in 2016. But um, in the beginning, it was definitely only kind of uh, teams, you know, that were talking with us. It was all about, you know, being, um, you know, more productive. But but now, you know, uh, people are interested in talking about stuff that has to do with, you know, more agile production also on, on a much, much more senior level. Um, so, well, firstly, um, you know, do, do you agree? And, and second, if so, um, it would be interesting kind of like hear a little bit of your your views on what, you, what you're seeing on, on that kind of level. Um, yeah, I do agree. I think that there's always been the, the need at the senior level for that view and, and that the, I'll say the portfolio management side of, of things. I think it's just been supplied in the past in different ways, either status reports that people compile or put together. Um, and over time, at least my opinion is, I, I think that as um, tools be, have become a little bit more prevalent, and more accessible that people have realized that a lot of a lot of the management from that portfolio side is really valuable to see almost in real time and uh, not so much the hey i need you to stop doing get me a status report every thursday that i may or may not read because it's, it may or may not be in the format that i want and as those tools have become more accessible and easy to produce i think that there has been a rise, I'll say, in expectations from the more senior levels to take a look at things from this more holistic view. Um, one of the big things and big changes that you get going from traditional project management into Agile is looking at things not in terms of just particular metrics, but you're looking at things in terms of leading indicators. And that's one of the biggest mind shifts when you're looking at like Agile framework transitions. And I, Going for a portfolio view, that's essential, right? Now that every, now that the studio or the sub teams are looking at things from this leading indicator perspective, it makes it easier to boil that up for senior management to understand what are those gauges that they need to be monitoring as well. Cool. So um, let's jump into the the meat of the conversation. I'm just gonna 
I'm gonna, you know, read out the themes. I don't get it wrong. Wrong, you know. So like, uh, do's and don'ts of building a sustainable foundation for developing great games. Um, you know, do's and don'ts. There is pretty straightforward, right? But there's two words there that I, I think we need. Uh, I, I kind of wanna, um, you know, focus a bit on. So you know, one sustainable, and and foundation. So before you know, getting deep into your your views here. Um, what, what do we mean by foundation here? You know, just to have everyone aligned. Uh, so for me, when I use the term foundational, um, it's really about, I'll say the slow part of setting up teams from a project management perspective that uh, traditionally people don't have a ton of patience for because it's a lot of trial and error. So for example, uh, one of the things that I look at doing is making sure that one, not only do we understand as we're bringing teams up, from an agile, agile methodology, uh, where it's not just the training say, Hey, or do this, do that. This is, this is burn. This is why you do a burn down. This is separation of backlogs priority. Um, but it's really the push of having people understand why those things exist is the most important part of that. Not necessarily the, the actual task itself. So for me, foundational is making sure that when we set up teams to start working, um, typically do it in an evolutionary manner where we start with a piece, I'll say of, of, if we're running Scrum, of Scrum, not the full thing yet, where they're actually starting and stopping and most importantly, making mistakes. Now we're making changes based on those mistakes and the experiential reference um, lasts a lot longer than just someone saying, here, we've rolled out a way to do it, follow this guideline. Uh, that foundation is making sure that those teams are running things in a methodology way that produces, um, I'll say an outcome with integrity that we can use to propagate into that larger roadmap. So like if we use points for velocity and story points, um, I've had teams before where you tell them this is how you have to run it. And they're just pushing to close off story points. And they make their burn down charts because they push in the team, they close off things, making exceptions, because that's what you're saying is important. The problem with that is now that number has an asterisk next to it, and you're not so sure, does this truly mean what you were able to do? Or is it just an indicator of what we've been focused on, and you made it look good? A sustainable foundation is one that you don't have that asterisk with it is one that, hey, you did zero points, but there were reason, okay, let's move on. You're not being beaten over the head for zero or low, low amount of points. Once you have that established as the foundation and you know you can rely on the metrics and the information that's coming out of those teams, then you can build that next layer of that tower, right? Which is the portfolio mapping and starting to link a, a bunch of those things together. Um you, you said um, you used to, you said outcome integrity. Um, can you can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so um, I'll use a uh, I'll use an example of past that I'm sure if people have been in project management um, for a while are used to used to have have to produce these Gantt charts um, almost a year out into a project down to eight hours two day increments. And from a creative perspective, from a game perspective, it never held true to me that how are we able to schedule out at eight hour tasks a year from now 
we don't like no one can say what fun is going to be a year from now. Like that's just not how fun is made. It's not developed in a design doc. You execute that document and boom, fun happens. And um, to me, those those metrics and that 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 schedule that we were doing to that level of granularity didn't have a lot of integrity to it, uh, mainly because like I looked at it, I'm like, this doesn't help me at all. It may make someone else feel better, like maybe at the next level, but it's all sort of made up in a way. And when I look at those things, you know, from like, like directing production on an operational level, I want to make sure that the stuff that's being produced and the artifacts that are being produced are actually useful when I sum them all together to see where we're going as a product. And when I look at the old way that I, that I was told to do it a long time ago, that value of the output of that, I don't have any integrity in or feeling of integrity in those numbers because I don't feel like I can rely on them. I feel like it was just an artifact put together to please a meeting as opposed to get us somewhere. So when I'm talking about integrity of outcome, I'm looking for, the fact that the numbers that are being um, or the artifacts that are being produced by these teams is something that I feel is very valid to be able to extract some uh, future projections with. So you know, I find this, this very interesting. And, and my question would be, you know, what's, you know, what's, what's, what's hard and not, you know, we're, we're building this foundation. I mean, I mean, for example, I can imagine that, uh, you know, you always have this, um, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, when you're, you know, say you're bringing, you know, venture capital money, you know, um, into a startup, you know, everyone wants to get, you can get started with things like quick, you want results like tomorrow or yesterday. Um, and, and, and it, you know, you, you want to also, you know, build a foundation to build a great company. Right. And, and I think it's very similar to what you're describing that. So, so how do you, well, two questions. So one, just generally what's, what's hard with this? Um, you know, the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the traps along the way. And, and, and secondly, I'm, I'm very curious about, you know, the specific, uh, challenge of, of time there, you know, everyone's like, you know, hungry for, let's get some results quickly here, you know, and, 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 and at the same time, you know, you want to build that foundation because I, I think it's pretty clear, you know, the, the value of, of creating that foundation from what you said, but, but, but how do you make it happen? There's, there's no specific blueprint that's going to work for everybody, but a lot of it relies on uh, the culture of the organization, your timelines as an organization, like you mentioned. Uh, I think that we, especially in games, I can, I can speak to, we want to see results as fast as possible because we want to iterate on those things. That's fantastic. And, you know, we have methodologies to support that when the methodologies are implemented and are working. So the way I've always, the analogy I sort of always have used in the past is that, you know, we'll put some frameworks together to see if this is the way that we want to produce our title um, and that works, but we'll do a prototype of it. So we're putting a foundation of a house, like maybe we'll use toothpicks for now. And then we say, yeah, that held and we could do one level. Yeah, this seems to work. Then the impatience of the studio, because they've seen some results is uh, typically a, okay, now just do level two. Well, the problem is once you start getting up to level three, everything collapses and you have to go and rework and rework everything. And that will really show itself from 
you're going to have a lot of people working in the teams that the whole term feel like they're herding cats all the time because a lot of the foundational aspects that uh, that takes some time to sink in and that time is very experiential on the people that are running the team because a lot of agile is really about that team and how they work together you can't force that and say well just read this book do it within one sprint you're good it takes some time to start and stop so you need to have some patience and expect that hey the first several deliveries out of these sprints it's the focus isn't so much on the deliveries of what they produced. It's more focused on how they're producing it so that you can start backing off a little bit. And now, you know, it's sort of this black box where if I have a backlog, it's prioritized and it's feeding into this system. I know that the, that they're going to run this science experiment correctly and give us a result. Um, Agile is just for me anyway, this big, always this sort of big science experiment where what we focused on on an operational side is making sure that the experiments are consistently run with a standard and run well. The results may be a failure, but that's an accurate result because I know the parameters of the experiments have been done well before. And that takes a lot of patience and understanding that, hey, it might be a couple months before we see something that's of value. Now, in organizations that have a lot of time, that's, that's okay. In organizations that have to turn around quickly you, you, it, you know, a lot of impatience comes in and you sort of have to figure out how do you do this in a hybrid manner. So, um, please talk more about that. How do you do it in that hybrid manner? Because I think, you know, I think a lot of people right now are like, always like cliffhanger there. It's like, because this is the situation so many are facing. Yeah. Um, from teams before that I've, I've worked on, if I go back to, let's say, um, a more on the packaged good days where, uh, a lot of people don't realize like the sports titles that uh, we do through that we did through EA um, since they come out annually, we only have several months of production and it's the same team. So they have to turn around quickly, get into a pre-pro figure out what's going to be there. Um, you know, there is some parallel overlap work between years, but for the most part, we have a few months you know, to develop. It's very quick. So when we started doing the agile transition, um, I couldn't say, hey, we're not going to deliver a product next year because we're working on our foundation. Uh, so what we did was we took a couple teams that I felt had some fairly senior leaders uh, that understood more of the agile frameworks a little bit more than some others. And we started with one or two teams for that cycle. And the idea was for the other teams to sort of learn from them, them to learn from themselves, knowing that we were going to get some outputs from them that were going to be valid. Um, regardless because of the leadership that I had on them. And then the next year, uh, that's when we sort of onboarded everyone into that framework. So we were able to sort of merge it together as opposed to saying, okay, everyone try it first for a little while and then move on. We just picked a couple and then started evolving from there. So um, one, one question I have I mean, there is a bit of a convergence, you know, between different kinds of media right now. I would, I, I think we can, we can say, you know, in 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 many ways. Um, um, I mean, we talked about going from, you know, like a disc to live, and in some aspects, I think this is happening, also very much between various mediums. Um, but but just generally speaking, you know, the the kind of you know convergence that happens between various media today, 
you know, the fact that, you know, uh, games today is just so much bigger than it was 10 years ago. Um, how do you think this will affect? I mean, you know, you, you just to kind of like throw you one example of what I'm, what I'm kind of like hinting at is, um, you know, in, in, in our industry, this has been for a long time, we're kind of looking at Hollywood and, and we're taking inspiration from there. But right now, I think we're seeing much more, you know, you know, the other direction happening as well. Um, and, and, um, I mean, just, just, you know, generally, how do you, how do you see, you know, you know, production management changing over time, you know, in the future based upon the conversion of, of various, um, uh, media, but, but maybe also other factors are placed in here. Um, you know, it's interesting. The, the models with, um, uh, television and movies and for, I have tangential knowledge. Obviously I haven't been working specifically in that industry. Um, I have a lot of contacts that do. So we compare and contrast sort of the differences between, between them all the time. One of the biggest struggles within, if we talk about like a movie production, that's very different than typical games uh, development is that everyone is contract labor typically, and you exist for that. Everyone's together and then they depart. Whereas a lot of game development is mostly uh, teams that have, you know, are structured and, can evolve together. So they have a little bit more longevity to it. Uh, I think where we're, we are starting to see some convergence has from uh, has been because of the pandemic, where now that for there's so much more remote work than there was before, forced a lot of companies to really inv to, uh, invest in remote and realizing, oh, this is something that we can actually do. Um, we're now much more geographically dispersed than we were. We're not all necessarily in the same place or the same time zone, which is more akin in some ways sometimes to uh, some of the movie production. The interesting thing is, I think that has been the biggest shift that I have seen from a production perspective, because the way that you, as a producer, right, the most of my stuff had always come from walking around, talking to people, um, you know, a lot of body language and seeing where changes need to be made, what's working. Um, when you're remote, you don't have that advantage anymore. It's a completely different set of tools where now like you're trying to read tone in Slack messages or emails um, in black and white, which is almost near impossible to do. So the biggest, at least from my experience, shift that I've been seeing is how do we structure to get these teams that feel uh, homogenous together um, when they're not physically ever together? So uh, that has, you know, that's something that I'm still working on trying to figure out. Uh, I don't know if anyone's ever perfected that yet because there is an element of face-to-face -face and that, that human connection that you, know, you miss a little bit. Um, I know here at Hypixel, one thing that we value and we've been looking doing is every so often getting the teams together physically for a little bit, you know, to try and restore that connection. Um, but on top of that, we've seen from a, from a production perspective that uh, have to be a lot more specific. Whereas uh, in person, it was easier as a coach to sit back and help walk someone to where they're going to get to, because you had that time, whether you're in a meeting or whatever, whereas in a remote um, majority environment, a lot of it tends to migrate to, okay, let me spin that on its head a little bit. 
I need you to get here. Now let me help you work there as opposed to leading them. Um, so it's a, for me anyway, that's a fairly big shift of how you, you're working with people. The methodologies themselves so far held up um, from Agile Framework. Actually, I've seen them help more so because it, if you're doing Scrum correctly and it's a highly efficient team um, and there's some limited dependencies between them, you can do a lot of the stuff asynchronously for a while because everyone understands intent and everyone understands where they're trying to go to versus the traditional older style way of, of management. It's like you do this task, wait till I get an update. You do this task. No one really knows where that's moving to. So then you try and smash all these tasks together and hope that you have this greater output and that it really hardly ever worked when you're in person. And it really doesn't work when you're remote um, because you don't have that iteration as much as you did before. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there was definitely a trend already before COVID uh, striving for, you know, high levels of you know autonomy, you know, both team autonomy and individual autonomy. Uh, but then the goal was, uh, was, you know, was agility, you know, um, being able to adapt to, 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 to change. But, uh, but uh, I think COVID really accelerated that trend uh, because when you are remote, um, if you're not working in that way, it's going to be very, very painful. Um, so, so, um, yeah, I, um, I think that is definitely the, the direction for the future. And, and also we, we do the same at Favreau. We do, um, mm -hmm. we call it uh, on-sites instead of off-sites. <laughs> so, you know, from time to time, you're just getting everyone together, um, and not focusing on you know, <laughs> making, you know, a ton of decisions, but really focusing rather on, uh, you know, getting to know each other better, you know, building trust, uh, so that you have that like trust capital, you know, when you are you know, then remote and you're on Slack and, you know, things, you know, communication in, in, in some ways gets harder. So um, we're up on time and, and this has been a great conversation. It's always a great conversation with you. I, I, um, I hope that I get a chance to invite you back. Um, sure. You know, a bit later, we can, we can continue this, uh, this, this conversation. Sounds good. Super, super. So with that said, uh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. And for all of you listening, um, if you like this, you know, uh, like and uh, share so more can take part of the conversation. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. If you want to elevate yourself as a modern leader and help your teams become even more successful, then check out Favor Academy at favro.com. They will find podcasts, webinars, articles, all free of charge. Check it out.